welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. But uh, Mark chapter 1, we're going verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. And uh, man, we're almost done with chapter 1. So let's start at verse 35. We're going to read a few verses here. Mark 1, 35 through 39. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. In the, uh, in the NIV, it's, it's got an exclamation point there. I'm not sure what the original language is, exclamation point or not. But they find him and they say, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose, I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now, I want to stop there, even though it seems kind of like a strange place to stop. But as we've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark, um, much of chapter 1 is actually happening within a 24-hour period, within one day. And you kind of can lose sight of that because it's a long-ish chapter, and there's a lot that's been going on. But the truth is, it all kind of happens pretty quickly. And we know that Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark, and Mark is the assistant of St. Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter who in this story, his name is Simon, his name hasn't been changed to Peter yet, but we know that the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark and dictated to him, according to early church history and church tradition, it was dictated to Mark by Peter himself. So Peter is telling Mark the story, his story of walking with Jesus, of becoming a disciple of Jesus and how that unfolds. And so it's not surprising that uh, Simon is, is mentioned many times uh, in this story. That Simon is kind of the key figure in Simon's story. So, for instance, verse 36, it says that, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. So, uh, Simon and those who were with him. You know, Andrew, James, and John, the four disciples so far of Jesus who have been called. And, and it's tracking along Simon. It's not just uh, Simon's, uh, that it's Simon that's going to search for Jesus. But remember, they're staying at Simon's house. Simon and Andrew's house. And it was Simon's mother-in-law that Jesus healed just in the verses prior. So just to give you a quick recap, right, Jesus calls James and John and Simon and Andrew. They're fishing. He calls them to himself. And then, almost like right away, he's in Capernaum in their hometown, Simon and Andrew and James and John's hometown, at their local synagogue, and he's teaching. And he's teaching with authority, and it's, it's very surprising. And while he's teaching with authority, this demon begins to manifest at church. And so Jesus cast out the demon out of the man, 
And then everybody is still shocked by this. And Jesus is like, I'm hungry. Let's go get some lunch. So Jesus and his disciples go back to Simon's house. Before they get to Simon's house, Simon's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, actually, uh, I think maybe we should uh, go out to Chili's today because, you know, we got a little situation in the house. What's happening is Simon's mother-in-law has a fever in those days. That's an incredibly dangerous thing, right? Before penicillin, before Tylenol, it was a big deal to have a fever. Very contagious and could kill you. And yet Jesus goes into the house. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. This is on the Sabbath still. Okay. So now when the sun sets and uh, in Jewish tradition, when the sun sets, the day is over. So the Sabbath is over. All of a sudden the entire town gathers at the door. Remember that the Jesus is in the house that the city is at the door because they've heard that not only can this man cast out demons, but he can also heal the sick. So they brought all of their sick and they brought everyone who was demon possessed or like mentally out of it. And they brought them to him and he healed them and he cast out all demons. He, immediate deliverance and immediate healing. I would say it's a good day, right? I would say, wow, things are going really well. If you are sort of, uh, if, if, you're, if your name is Simon and you happen to be first day on the job as a disciple of Jesus, holy cow, things are going well. I would say he's knocking it out of the park right now. Jesus is tearing it up. Simon wakes up from a very good day, right? The disciples wake up from a very good day and they look around and they go, where's, where's Jesus? <laughs> I don't know about you. When I, when I was reading this this week, I was like, man, I can so relate to that. So many times when things are going well, all of a sudden God just disappears. Like, I, I thought he was right there when I, like last night, he was right there. Like literally, I just talked to him right there. Like I just met with him right there. Turns out Jesus is kind of unpredictable. Turns out God is kind of unpredictable. That you think you know what song to sing to get him to, you know, come and visit with you. You think you, and you play that song in the van and it doesn't hit the same way it did. And you think you know, like, hey, if I, if I read this passage, that'll really stir me up. I'll just get out the Psalms. And then turns out, not every time you read that, sometimes you read the Psalms and it's depressing, right? And it's not hope-filled. And it's like, God, where are you? Everything is burning around me. What's up with this? And so it's like that sometimes the thing you, you, you feel found God in yesterday, suddenly he's not there anymore. And he just kind of moves. And so I can, I can totally relate. Actually, I kind of, this is something I've noticed just personally, as I'm studying through the gospel of Mark, preaching verse by verse, I've noticed how pastoral Mark is. I've noticed because this, this gospel, according to Eusebius, was written by Mark, dictated by Peter, to be left with the church that Peter and Mark planted in Rome. And so it is, it's very pastoral. It's very much like, hey guys, I know you're confused. I've been confused too. Some people read the Gospel of Mark, they're like, what an idiot. Boy, Peter is such an idiot. And it's like, well, I don't think he is. I don't think Simon and Andrew, I don't think they're dummies. I don't think they're slow. I don't think they have problems. I think they are exactly like me. I can relate to this. I'm like, wow, okay, I'm not alone. I guess when I'm confused and I don't know where Jesus is, like, I guess that happens from time to time. Apparently, you can be physically having a sleepover with Jesus and wake up, like, wondering, what happened? Did I say something wrong? Did I, did I, was it 
too gassy in here? Like, what's going on? Like, like what's the deal? And Jesus is just gone. And, and these disciples are searching for him. But, but what I want to talk to you about today is really the example that Jesus leaves for us. Because I see in this passage two separate behaviors. And I feel like Simon Peter is, is, is filling in these details as a pastor to let us know, hey, guess what? I wasn't always the way that I am. I used to be like this. But Jesus was like this, and I had to change the way that I was. Right. And so I just like it's never it's, it's, it's never more like clear of a contrast between ways of thinking, ways of valuing things, ways of going about my day, ways of living than it is right here in this passage. So it's much easier kind of to say, boy, Pete really got it wrong. And hey, if it applies to you, then fine. Like the Lord will speak to you. But what I want to do is I want to show what Jesus is doing here it, it, on, after a good day. Jesus rises early and departs for a solitary place. So I want to talk to you about the need for a solitary place. You and I need a solitary place. Now there's a huge difference between Jesus and the disciples, and I want to get into that in a minute, but just just to start off, what Jesus does here is a beautiful example to you and I. We need a solitary place. Solitary, the word solitary means alone. It means secret. It means actually one of the one of the one of the, uh, the strong's definitions is a place without the aid of friends or family. <laughs> so you and I like we need and, and and this is this is this is important in our generation especially. So I don't know I don't know who this God might be speaking to through this passage, but I just feel like God wants you to know that you need to have a solitary place. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know who this is for, but you've watched enough Netflix. <laughs> you, you've, you've, you've caught up on Hulu. You're all good on HBO Max. Paramount Plus will be fine without you. <laughs> the, the, the NFL will keep on going. <laughs> Ladies, it's not a good time to tell your husbands amen. I'm just saying. This looks straightforward, just straight ahead. But, but, but like Facebook doesn't need an update on what you had for lunch. Right? You don't have to wish people happy birthday who are not on Facebook happy birthday on Facebook. Because they're not on Facebook. You can actually wish them in person. You can go tell them happy birthday. Like, we, we, we live in a generation where it feels like the emphasis is, well, I was just at uh, a Home Depot on Friday afternoon on my day off, and I was, and somebody called me, and I'm like, well, I'm at the place where doers get more done. <laughs> because obviously, I need to get more done. Like, it's just weird. We're in a, an American, I think it's particularly American, but it's also a part of our generation because America leads the country in a lot of ways of thinking. We really do form a lot of the value systems of, of the nations. It's like, hey, if you can be more productive, if you can have a telephone that will, or a cell phone that will flip open so that you can watch the game and text at the same time so that you can, I don't know if you saw that Samsung, the flip one. Like, like if you can do, if you can get more done and be more productive, you'll be more fulfilled. And yet Jesus is fighting against this belief system that we need to do more to be more. 
that we need to accomplish more to feel better or to be on track or to be pleasing to God. Instead, he departs to a solitary place. And the truth is, I think if we understood how effective secret times alone with God really were, if we understood how much God can accomplish within 30 minutes of us spending alone time with him, we would realize that actually it's counterproductive to work yourself to death. You'd become less effective the more burnt out you are. Nobody becomes more effective. You become less effective the more burned out you are. And Jesus, multiple times in the Gospels, you're going to find that this is a pattern for him. This is not just a one-time thing. This is, a, this is a persistent pattern in his life that he pulls away to connect with his Heavenly Father through prayer into a solitary place. And let me tell you, if God has to connect with God, you might, you might have to connect with him too. I'm just saying. I might have to connect with him too. And so, it's, and so this solitary place is important. This solitary place is, is a need. And it is a place, my first point is, this is a place for every season. Oftentimes, what I've run across in Texas is that people see prayer as like this, it's this emergency valve. It's the, uh, the spare tire, right? It's like your car is broken down on the side of the highway. Well, I've done everything I can do. Now all I can do is pray, you know. But man, no, like it's prayer is not a spare tire. It's the steering wheel. I read that somewhere on Facebook. It's, it, it's the, but it's, it's the thing that is for every season. Jesus on his best day. I mean, the best day of his life as recorded in the Gospel of Mark has to be right now. Now, I know there are some pretty awesome days you read the other Gospels prior to this, but for 30 years, Jesus has been waiting to preach and to minister and to show the world who he is and to show the world the love of God and to set people free. He's been watching demons possess people for 30 years. And his father says, hold on, don't, don't set them free yet. That's got to be difficult. And now his father says, okay, go ahead. And he just begins delivering people left, right, and center. And he's had a really good day. Let me tell you, prayer is not just what you do at the end of a bad day. Prayer is not just what you do on the morning after you've been fired, the morning after the divorce, the morning after the difficulty. Prayer is not just what you do when things are rough and it's like, oh, I need to, I need to recenter my, my heart. It is for that, absolutely. But Jesus shows us it's actually after your best day. Which means that prayer, a solitary place, has to become a discipline that you apply to every season of your life. Man, I'm telling you, if you could understand the benefit of applying spiritual disciplines to every season, your life wouldn't look like this. Your emotions wouldn't look like this. Your romantic partner choices wouldn't look like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you would actually be able to live like Jesus, to respond like Jesus responds. It is, it is this daily thing where, where prayer is not a last resort. It is a permanent posture. It is this thing in my heart that on my good days, I'm going to wake up and seek God. On my bad days, I'm going to wake up and seek God. On my okay days, which that's most of life, actually. You're usually not flying high and you're usually not crawling. You're usually just kind of walking along, doing your thing. On those days... Like if you understood the power of those days, of those moments, Jesus has a wonderful day. He's been up late healing people and yet he still somehow sets the alarm to wake up early to be intentional. So my first point is that prayer is for every season. A solitary place is a permanent posture. It's for every season. My second point is that a solitary place must be a priority. 
I'm not a morning person, okay? So I, like, I, I can empathize with all the non-morning people out there. So what I do is I pray before I go to bed because what I've found is if, I, if I'm in the right place when I close my eyes, I'm in a much better place when I open them. And so I'll spend time praying before I go to bed. And so when I wake up, I just continue the conversation. And some of us are dealing with sleep issues because we're worrying before we go to bed. Some of us are dealing with sleep issues because literally we've been on Facebook right up until we're going to bed. Our brain is racing because we're checking our to-do list before we go to bed. I would challenge you that, you know, I, whether it's in the first thing in the evening, first thing in the morning, whether it's during your lunch hour, whether it's on your way to work in the car, and some of us aren't driving to work anymore, so you have that extra time at home, come on somebody, not to sleep in, but to intentionally, you, you have to prioritize a, a solitary place. And some of you are looking at me like, ah, I don't really know that I can do that. Well, just try it. Try one day a week. Just start off by saying one day a week, I'm going to get up 30 minutes earlier to spend that 30 minutes with God. Uh, one day a week. I, I, I promise you, if you start carving out, and this, this is, sociologists have proven this, that we naturally fill up space. We fill up time. So, like, say you have equipment. Say you, um, uh, for, for, for me, uh, we're getting ready to go into our flag football season. Uh, my, second, my second season as a flag football coach, my son's flag football team. So that means we practice on Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, and we have a game on Saturdays, like, at noon. And so what was interesting is, is it's like, wow, I don't know that I can commit to that. But, you know, Micah really wanted me to, and so I was like, okay, fine. I'm, I want to be there anyway, so I might as well coach. So anyway, so I commit to it. So once you commit to it, you make time for it. And everything else just kind of moves around it, you know? And you're going to be my assistant this time, right? Yes, Johnson's going to be my assistant coach. Nice. So we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna get more than one win this year. I, I just feel it. I feel, feel it's going to happen because I got the guy with the long hair. So I'm bringing in a new coach, just like Detroit. Man, it's going to be great. Um, but, you know, you, you're like, how can I do that? I don't know. And then it just, you, you, you do it, and other things move around it. But what's interesting is, like, when you quit, you usually think, oh, man, I'm going to have all this free time on Tuesday nights. I'm going to have a whole other extra two hours on Saturday afternoon. It's like, well, this is going to be great. What am I going to do with myself? I don't know. And what happens is, you, whatever, like, when you take out of your schedule, it just, boom. Just, just random little nothings just fill up the space. And then you're like six months later, how can I possibly find time on Tuesday night? It's like, well, are you really doing much more or are you, have you just allowed little things to fill the, the margin? And this is what happens is we allow little things to fill the margin. So what I'm saying is you think you don't have time for, for a solitary place, for a place of prayer, but if you will make the time, you will find the time. It really is a matter of deciding, you know what? Okay, Mondays, that's the day. Fresh off of Sunday, I'm motivated. Like, find a time that's easier for you, right? Get some espresso to wake yourself up or something. I don't know what you got to do. For me, when I first wake up, and this isn't very spiritual, but when I first wake up, I grab my phone, and I have a, and I have a boggle game on my phone. And I play boggle. <laughs> that's what I do. It takes two minutes for a round of boggle. So I play a round of boggle basically every day. Some of you are looking at me like, oh, I don't know if I should be going to this church. This pastor does not start fasting and praying as soon as he wakes up. No, I play boggle because it like my, it wakes me up because I am not a morning person. But if I have to think about, I actually like boggle. I like spelling and I like grammar and I like trying to find different words. And yeah, come on, get some boggle people around here. And you know, it's, it's just, it's just a challenge for me and it like stretches my brain. And then I go get four shots of espresso and then I start my prayer time. Okay. That's, that's, that's how that works. 
That's how that works. Because otherwise Jesus is just going to get somebody who's fallen asleep on him. Because I'm not with it. I'm not there. I'm not, I'm there, but I'm not there. You know what I'm saying? Like my eyes aren't entirely open. I don't know what's going on. And so I need some, I need some boggle, stretch my brain or something. And I, and I, and I need some coffee. So this is, this is what, that, that's, that's what I'm not saying. That's the healthiest thing to do. Don't go to your doctor and say, well, my doctor said, my, my pastor said, for, I'm not a doctor. Okay. My expertise is theology. All right. I don't know. You figure out your own health, but tea maybe if you want, water I hear is better, or whatever. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it, it takes a priority, and Jesus does this. And, and, and what I think is powerful is that Jesus does this even on his good days, and I've seen my wife do this. Like, like Ro is really great at this. She'll wake up, she'll wake up early, she'll go downstairs, she'll turn on some, some teaching, she'll listen to a sermon or two, she'll, she'll read her Bible, she'll spend time with prayer, and, and that's awesome. So if you can do that, my goodness, by all means, absolutely do that. Personally, I gotta wait till like the evening till I'm, I'm giving Jesus my best, you know what I'm saying? Back. We're back, folks online. All right, so that's, that's my clue to go on to point number three. Point number three. Solitary place changes your perspective. And this is what's so important about it is it's not like every time I'm, I'm in prayer that God just like, boom, speaks to me and like the mountains move and things shake. Like angels descend with, like that's not what happens. But what happens is when you make it a permanent posture, when you make it an ongoing thing, you don't even really notice how it changes your perspective. So this is where the contrast is really helpful because we have disciples who do not get up early, who do not go to a solitary place. They wake up and they're like, all right, what's for breakfast? And they're looking around. Jesus isn't there. Now, there's no, now this is just my imagination because there's no scripture about this. But what they say when they find Jesus is very telling. So the, when, they, when they find Jesus, what do they say? They say, everyone... It's probably an exaggeration. I'll just go out on a limb and say that's an exaggeration. Everyone is looking for you. Now, they don't say Jesus like, uh, this is our second day on the job. We would like to know how to pray. They don't say, Jesus, we're looking for you. They don't say, Jesus, we're wondering, um, what are we going to have for breakfast? They're not interested for themselves. And if they are, they're not showing it. Their complaint to Jesus, they're yelling at him, and their yell at Jesus is, everybody is looking at you. It's like, it's like a mom with her toddler in the grocery store. Don't embarrass me in front of all these people. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Uh, it's a more of a concern about what the expectations are of the community. So I guess there must have been some expectations of the community. I, I don't think the disciples are lying to him. It seems like everybody, or at least from their perspective, everybody was out there looking for Jesus. And these guys are feeling the pressure of what everybody else is looking for. And this is the problem with not having a solitary place. You will feel the pressure of what everybody around you is looking for. 
You will wake up under the pressure. You will go throughout your day under the pressure of the expectations of your spouse, the expectations of your kids, the expectations of your community, the expectations of people on Facebook, the expectations of your extended family. And you will be pushed and pulled and driven not by heaven's direction for you, not by God's divine purpose for you, but by the expectations of people who are around you. These guys wake up in the morning and it's just in my imagination, they must have looked out the door and it's like there's everybody that was healed and delivered and set free like there's there's it's like i don't know they're they have still having a party out there this is like a like a uh, it's, it's like a fiesta well okay i mean i was thinking more like i was thinking more like downtown sixth street and uh uh south by like this is like like wow let's just let's just hang out like let's just get a tent let's sleep here like because we want to hear more from this teacher we want to see more of what he can do and so they're hanging out and there's all this expectation on the house and yet jesus has exited the house and simon's like uh, <laughs> uh you got any uh you got any tricks up your sleeve james you know how to do anything you got andrew andrew did that party trick that one time where he like swallowed that that, that thing remember you go to the, and, and they're 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 feeling the expectations of of the eyes of the entire community on them and they don't have the direction that jesus has they don't have the focus that Jesus has. They don't have anything to counteract that. And so they naturally just go along with that. Okay, that's what you want from me. Okay, that's what you need. Okay, that's what you need to hear. Okay, that, that's what you're expecting. Okay, that's what you're looking for. That's what you're valuing. That's what you're seeking. Okay, then that's what I'm valuing. That's what I'm seeking. That's what I'm trying to get. That's what I'm trying to be. That's what I'm trying to do. They start reflecting the desires of the culture. Those around them are literally dictating what they're going to do. And so everybody else is looking for Jesus, so they start looking for Jesus. They're not sick. Mother-in-law is being healed. Everything's good. They have no personal need of their own or problems of their own with which to seek Jesus. I mean, you know, maybe I'm more laid back, but I'd be like, oh, I'm sure he'll be back at some point. <laughs> I mean, I guess he went out to get some fresh air. I don't know. Like, uh, you guys hang out there. We're going to have breakfast in here. We don't have enough for you all. And he, so far he hasn't multiplied the bread and the fishes yet. So we don't even know he can do that yet. So you guys just, you get, you get your own vet breakfast. Like I hear Chick-fil-A's got something going on. Like we got our breakfast. You do your thing. But no, these guys are feeling the pull of the expectations of those around him. Yeah, to perform, to do something. Hey, wow, this was a great day yesterday, but what about today? And Jesus has a completely different perspective. Go to the, go to the scripture where Jesus talks to them. They, they go on next to verse 37 and 38. When they found him, they said to him, everyone's looking for you. Don't you, don't you sense that? <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you sensitive to the needs of other people? Yeah, yeah, he's very sensitive to the needs of other people, but he's not driven by the needs of other people. But he, that but, is a, is a, it means that there's a different, a different statement coming. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Whoa, hold on, hold on. So you just had your first like ministry moment on the Sabbath in Capernaum there were some questions around your teaching because you taught with authority, but at the end of the day, you really validated it with that 
expelling the demon thing, and then you healed my mother-in-law, and that went really well, and then the whole town came out to you, I think they're ready to hear Sermon 2.0. I think they're ready to go, like, to the next, to the next level. Right? Like, let's stay here. Let's, we, haven't even, we haven't even built up a, a good, like, small group yet. Like, can't we, like, get some people, introduce them to so-and-so, get them serving way over here? Like, can't we just start something? But Jesus is like, okay, now I need to go preach to the next town. Well, the preaching Jesus was cool. That was like the first, that, 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 in, in, in Mark's gospel, that ac- accounted for about one sentence. Right? He taught with authority. Lovely, but the whole rest that we've been reading is all about the miraculous. He went here, did that, went there, did that. Those people thought like that. Those people did that. They responded. So let me get this straight. The thing that that man spends about one sentence on, Jesus says we need to do more of that. And then, and then he says because, in other words, he realizes that they're wondering, they're asking, why can't. Can't we keep doing the demon casting out thing? The healing thing? Can we, can we keep that? Why? Because, he says, it is for this purpose that I have come forth. In other words, he says, in my time of solitude, I remembered my purpose. <laughs> you mean after one day you're going to forget it? <laughs> Maybe. After one day of power, after one day of effectiveness, after one day of, woo, after one day of, yeehaw, after, yeah, after one day, absolutely. Because humans, this is what we do. We, we're, we're, like, we're like wet cement. We get set really quick. And then, wow, it's hard to change. Man, it's hard to move. But this is how we do it. Like last week, this is exactly how we did it. So this is, this is what works, Right. But no, Jesus says, I got into my solitary place. Even when things were going good, I got into my solitary place and I remembered my purpose. My purpose is not to cast out demons. My purpose is not to heal, even though all that stuff's great and we're going to keep that up. (laughs) But my purpose is to preach. So the same message that I taught in Capernaum, I need to go somewhere else. I need to continue to preach. And this is what a a, a solitary place would do for you. This is what setting time aside, and I would say every day, setting time aside to commune with God, this is what it'll do for you. It will remind you of your purpose. Because it only takes about a day for us to get distracted by our, our progress, distracted by our power, distracted by our potential, distracted by, by wow, like, hey, we, we did some stuff. And it worked. That's cool. But, but in your quiet time with God, you remember your purpose. Because you can be productive in all kinds of things. But if you lose sight of your purpose, if you lose sight of the, of, of the why, it doesn't really matter what the what is. You're, you're going to lose effectiveness in the what, and eventually you lose satisfaction with the what. And so Jesus says, no, I got alone with my Father, and I remembered my purpose. And so within my purpose, this is my purpose to go preach. And so... So he did. So he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Why? Because in the solitary place, this is where God reminds you of your purpose. So, so I just want to give you a quick breakdown of, of some spiritual disciplines that will help you uh, find the solitary place. We covered these things on uh, City Chapel University. 
I don't know, a, a while ago. Uh, but if we can just put it up there on the screen, I got four, I got four things for you that, that ought to help you. And, and, and actually, if you want to dig deeper into this, you can come to City Chapel University when we go over spiritual growth. Because there are, there, are, there are four spiritual disciplines that you need to establish in your life for spiritual maturity, for spiritual growth to happen. All right? So, so the first one is the discipline of prayer. That's what I've been preaching about today. Taking time, deciding that I'm going to take some time in my day to connect with God. It's the old hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. I think nowadays it's more like sweet five minutes on my way to work. But I would adjust that. I would say sweet hour of prayer. Yeah, shoot for an hour. That calls me from the world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and often escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. It's a powerful thing to set time aside with God. But secondly, the discipline of meditation. And by meditation, I don't mean like what you see in Eastern religions. The goal of Eastern religion meditation, as far as I can tell, is to empty yourself and be in, become an empty vessel. In other words, to think on nothing, for which, which a lot of guys are really good at. So we're already pretty, pretty solid on that one. My wife asked me, what are you thinking about? I'm like, nothing. And she's like, no, but what are you thinking about? I just told you. So we're, we're, we've, been, we've been perfecting this art ever since we were like six. The ability to literally think on nothing. Uh, I, I, just from personal experience, I can tell you that doesn't help anything. It doesn't do anything for you. You don't, you don't come back from thinking about nothing feeling any better than you did before. You just, a, so, so Eastern meditation is, the, is the, the, the goal to drain yourself in order to get, I guess, more in touch with your chakra and like some inner stuff. But the goal of Christian meditation is different. It's not to think on nothing. It is to think on one thing. For an extended period of time. Uh, David said in the Psalms, he said, I, I meditate on you on my bed. And so this is the goal of Christian meditation, to meditate on God. There's actually two things that you can meditate on based on the Psalms. One is on God. And then David also said in another place, I think in Psalm 119, he said, I meditate on your law. I think on your law. The law is the first five books of the Bible. So scripture, that's the only scripture David had. So for us, it's literally, it's, it's, the, it's the discipline to tell my brain I'm not going to think about a thousand things right now. For the next 15 minutes, I'm going to think about one thing. Maybe that's one scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm going to think about that one scripture. You say, well, okay, well, I just thought about it. How do I think about it again? Well, you're already really good at meditating if you know how to worry. <laughs> if you know how to worry, you're already an expert meditator. Because this is what worry is. Worry is saying, okay, I said this and it was really dumb. Cool, that's, that's great. But then you go around it and you're like, boy, I wonder how they thought about it when I said that. And then you go around it again and I wonder how that makes them trust me or not trust me later on down the road. And then you go around it again. I wonder if this is just endemic to me. I wonder if this is because of my mom. And then you go around it again. And it's like, no, it's probably because of my dad. I think I get it from his side. And then you go around it again. And you just go around and around and around and around and around and around and around. That's what meditation is. Only it's not on negative stuff. It's on God. For God so loved. Well, what does that mean? And we begin, okay, well, how does that affect me? Is his love continuous? If he loved me when, I'm, when I was at my worst, how does that mean that he loves me now? So meditation is to sit and to dwell on. 
It's literally to walk around something in your mind. And, and uh, this is what I would encourage you to do. This is something that we're challenging uh, my teenager to do. She's 13, and I'm like, all right, you need to start spending time meditating on God. Because it's so hard to control your mind. Especially when you're 13, your brain's going in a thousand different directions. And if you can develop the discipline of saying, I'm not going to think about a thousand different things. I'm going to think about one thing for 15 minutes. Trust me, that'll help you with your sleep. That'll help you with your work. That'll help you at school. Because it's, it's tough. And so start with five minutes. Work your way up to 15 minutes, right? So the discipline of meditation. Also the discipline of fasting. Fasting is saying, I'm not going to eat anything for a set period of time. Whatever that period of time is. Uh, for us, oftentimes we fast uh, one day a week, just kind of sundown to sundown kind of thing, where we're not putting food into our bodies. And you say, well, can I fast from other things like uh, Netflix and YouTube and things? Sure. But fasting is, like, add that to fasting, because biblical fasting is specific to food. And whatever your uh, health restrictions may be, you know, uh, uh, work, work that accordingly. Don't kill yourself. But at the same time, the ability to say, I'm going to, I, my stomach's not going to rule over me. I'm going to rule over my stomach uh, is, is a powerful thing. And then finally, the discipline of study. The discipline of study is I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to actually see if what Pastor Harry says is true. So I personally love it when I get an email during the week saying, uh, Pastor Harry, you said this, and I'm not really sure, because da-da-da-da-da. That's great. Because if you literally just listen to me and like, well, Pastor Harry said it. No, I could be wrong. I have been wrong. Just ask my wife. I've been wrong a few times, like twice in my entire life. It's happened. It has happened. And I admitted to once. I admitted to one of them. And then I, we're still in arguments about the second one. I don't know. Jury's still out. I'm just saying... That no pastor gets it right. Even Paul didn't get it right. Even Paul didn't always expect people to believe him. So he's, he, he credited the noble-minded Bereans that he's like, man, I preached the gospel to you. You guys were like, that sounds great, Paul. Let me go away and study the Old Testament to see if you're right. And he credited him that. He says, that's awesome. He's like, I wish everybody would do that. Like, everybody needs to be doing that. And Paul's a pretty great preacher according to Scripture. He's pretty, pretty spot on. God used him tremendously, but, but no matter how anointed you are, or how, how wise you are, or how much you are, are able to articulate the scripture, man, we all, you all need to be checking what I'm saying against scripture. Against scripture, like, like open up the book, and, and it's a discipline of study. It's a discipline of, of, okay, I have this issue in my life, and so I'm going to go to the word of God. And, and you can Google. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. You just Google what does the Bible say about this, right? And, 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 and you, you're going to find some weird stuff, but you can find some good stuff that way. And then you can reach out to your uh, pastor or your, your small group and you can talk with them and say, man, this is what I found in Scripture. What do you think? Does this, does this, does this resonate with what you know about Scripture? But we need to be discussing the Word of God and using it as a, as, as a tool. It's not something that only the priest can come in your house and read, you know? This is something that you can read. Even if you don't understand it all. I don't understand it all. But I love the parts I don't understand because that means God wants to teach me something. Chances are God wants to teach you something. Not just me. And he'll teach you for you. Just like he teaches me for me. And he'll open up your mind to the truth. Just, just, just a couple of quotes. One from Leonard Ravenhill as we close out today. Leonard said, and I love Leonard Ravenhill on prayer. He said, the secret to praying is praying in secret. <laughs> So there is no secret. That's what he's saying. How do I learn to pray? You just do it. 
it's like riding a bike. You, you're going to fall over. You're going to sound dumb. You're going to feel dumb. You're going to feel like you're wasting your time, but you just keep doing it. The secret to praying is praying in secret. <laughs> no man or woman, I would say, is greater than his prayer life. In other words, who you are in the solitary place is who you really are. Who you are in the secret place is who you really are. Not how everybody thinks about you, not what people think you are, but who you are in the secret place before God, that is who you really are. A sinning man, he says, will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. <laughs> we are beggared and bankrupt, but not broken or even bent. In other words, we're struggling, and we know it. But we're not turning to our one source of help, which is the secret place. Uh, one, one more quote uh, from Frost, Richard uh, uh, Foster, I mean R Richard Foster, he says, In contemporary society, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. <laughs> if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Psychiatrist Carl Jung once remarked, hurry is not the devil, is not of the devil, it is the devil. If he can keep us engaged in munchness and manyness, he will keep us away from fulfillment. He will keep us away from power. And so I feel like the Lord is calling us and drawing us to a place of not, not separation from other people and not isolation, but to a place of solitude, to a place where we reconnect with our Father. So Father, we come before you right now and just... As we've read your word, and we've seen the example of Christ, how he pulled away from the crowds and didn't allow their expectations to dictate his value system. Father, we realize that we are engaged in manyness and muchness. <laughs> we are frequently pushed and pulled in many directions. And so, Father, we come before you, we ask for you to help develop in us the discipline of prayer, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of Christian meditation. Lord, would you, would, you, would you build us up in this? I'll tell you what, if you're here today and you just feel God drawing you to that solitary place and you want to make a commitment that this week you are going to step out and you are going to find a solitary place, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I am stepping into that. That's awesome. Father, we're responding to you. And we are choosing to make conversation with you a priority. To make time with you a priority. It's not, it's not just quality, but it's quantity. We need to give you quantity of our time, of our thoughts, of our mind. So Lord, we choose to make that a priority. And maybe it's just one day this week. Maybe we start there, just one day for 30 minutes, we're going to commune with you. Maybe it's uh, in, in, in the realm of fasting. We're going to take one meal and we're going to dedicate it to the Lord on, on one day. We're doing this because God is worthy, because he's worth our worship. Not because we want him to do anything, not because we're trying to twist his arm, but just because he's worth it. He's worth us sacrificing for him and laying aside certain <laughs> pleasures for him just out of worship. Father, may we, may we think more like you. May we seek you and find you. And Thank you for the example of the disciples who after they found you and after you corrected their, their perspective, they went with you. Or may we do the same. We don't always get it right, 
But when we hear from you, may we just say, okay, all right, let's do that. (laughs) I will follow you. I will stick with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for joining with us today. Hope you have a great day. You are dismissed. Um, Yeah, have a great week.